Well, you can open with me your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, that's where we'll start this morning. And I want to start with a question. In the way you think about life, in the way you think about the timeline of history, do you think about time as a NASCAR race or as a novel? As a NASCAR race or as a novel? Some people, especially those of, of sort of an Eastern philosophy, think of time in a cyclical way that it doesn't necessarily have a beginning or an end. Time just kind of goes on and on and on, circling and repeating. Our Western and Christian conception of time isn't of that Indy 500, <laughs> around and around and around again. Our conception of time is linear, that time has a beginning when God spoke the world into being, and that this is going somewhere. This is more like a novel with a beginning and a middle and a climax and an end. As Christians, we understand the beginning is when God created all things and that the end towards which all of this is going is Christ's return, Christ making all things new. It's interesting, even non-Christians are fascinated by the idea of the end Right? We're, we're a culture that's kind of obsessed with the apocalyptic. Um, you can see that in our movies and our media. Right, We love the zombie and alien apocalypses of various kinds. And, and it's true, too, in some of our obsessive thinking. Right, There's various uh, movements in our culture which are terrified either of the climate apocalypse or the nuclear apocalypse or a totalitarian apocalypse or fill-in-the-blank, right? We're obsessed with the idea of the end, of the future, of how this is all going to pan out. And so this morning, we're going to look at the end, because we know to some degree how this will all pan out. God has told us it's God's story, and he's revealed to us. He's kind of flipped to the end of the book and said, here's how this is going to end. We're going to see th three clear relevant realities this morning. First of all, Jesus is coming again. Amen. Second of all, there will be a resurrection day. And third, there will be a judgment day. Jesus is coming. There will be a resurrection day. There will be a judgment day. And what I want for us to see this morning is that if this is true, if these things are true, this changes everything about the way we ought to approach life. We can't believe these things are true and not take them into account. Let's start in prayer. Father, we, we ask this morning that you would meet us where we are. That if we are sleeping, that you would wake us up that if we are hopeless, that you would give us hope in your plan. That if we are anxious, that you would calm us with your sovereign, steady hand. We ask, Lord, if we are unready for the last day, that you would make us ready by trusting in Christ.
And we ask finally, Lord, if we are here and ready for your return, that you would give us joy as we anticipate the day we will see you face to face. Give us light and light as we look to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to explore this question of the end of the world, of the return of Christ, through the, the lens of the second to last section of our church's proposed statement of faith. So just like every week, you'll find that in your bulletin. Our summer series has been through this proposed statement of faith uh, that we're working through, and we're almost finished. And I'm very glad. Uh, because more than anything, I love expositional preaching, just sitting down on Tuesday morning and opening the next chapter of a book of the Bible and saying, Lord, what would, ha- what would you have to speak to us? So I've enjoyed this series through the statement of faith. I think it's been helpful. I think it's been clarifying. Uh, the next step in this process will basically be that the deacons and I will take into account the feedback we've heard and potentially make some revisions and then bring a final document and eventually bring that before the church. So that's where we're at in terms of the housekeeping of the, that confession of faith. But we're not quite done with it. Next week will be the last week. Uh, but uh, this week we're talking about uh, the section of the statement that has to do with these things, with Christ's return. Uh, This section of the Statement of Faith begins by saying this. We believe that the end of the world is approaching. That at the last day, Christ will descend from heaven. And this is what scripture teaches. That there is an end to this story and the end will come and a new beginning when Christ comes again. Uh, Luke records this for us in Acts chapter 1. You can turn there if you're not there already. Acts chapter 1. And this is the occasion of Christ's ascension. Where just before he ascended to be with the Father in heaven, he had a conversation with his disciples. And they asked him a question in Acts 1 verse 6. Acts 1 verse 6 says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now this was the great hope of the disciples, right? They understood Jesus is the Messiah. He's the promised Savior. He's come to restore the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Israel, the glory of God's people. And they have a sense of culmination, right? Jesus has just been raised from the dead, right? He had a knockdown dragout fight with death, and death is lying flat on its back, right, in the middle of the ring. And they're saying, this must be the time, right? Jesus, you're gloriously resurrected. Is this it? Is this the end? And what does he say to them? Verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus says, not yet, and I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) This is above their pay grade. What he does give them is a job. right? He says, be my witnesses. Go tell everyone what you've seen. Go preach the resurrection of Jesus to the whole world. And then in verse 9, we read, When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, these are angels, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the promise. The apostles are not given a time frame. They're told, you don't need a time frame. You have a job. But no, Christ is coming back. And this is the universal hope and expectation of the church across the ages. Christ is coming again. He will return bodily in the same way that he left. Jesus is coming back. And so our question this morning is basically, what should we know about that day? How should we get ready? What should we be prepared for? And man, this opens a whole can of worms. There are so many rabbit trails we could go down on this question of what is to come and what the scriptures teach about the end times. And frankly, there's all kinds of debates we could, we could wade into in terms of different ways Christians understand what is to come. What we're gonna focus on today, because we have one day for this, is I think the two most important things we should understand about Christ's return. And these happen to be two things that all Christians everywhere agree on. And that's the question of the resurrection and the question of judgment. That when Christ comes, there will be a resurrection day and there will be a judgment day. We're going to start with the idea of resurrection. Resurrection day. The confession says this, we believe that the end of the world is approaching, that at the last day Christ will descend from heaven and raise the dead from the grave to final judgment. That there is a day when Christ will raise the dead. And this isn't just a Christian idea. This was an idea that the, the Jews understood even before the coming of Christ. We see this in John chapter 11. You're probably familiar with this scene. In John chapter 11, when Jesus comes to Mary and Martha, remember their brother Lazarus had died, and Jesus comes to them, and he encourages them. Uh, he encourages Martha in John 11, in verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. This is, this is a woman in fresh grief. Right? And Jesus says, you know, your brother will rise again. And, and, and Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Right? She, displays, she's, she knows her theology. Right? She says, yes, I know, Jesus, there will be a resurrection day. And Jesus doesn't correct her. Right? This is true. Lazarus will be raised on the resurrection day. What Jesus had to prove in this instance was a little bit more, though. Right? What does he say? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is what Jesus tells Martha. And of course, he proved it by raising Lazarus from the dead. And then he proves it even further by rising himself from the dead. Jesus proves. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus, the one who is light and life, who is the word who has existed from before the creation of the world, was coming into the world to bring resurrection and life 
to all who believe. And we trust, those of us who are Christians, that at the resurrection day, after Christ has returned, we will be raised. The Apostle Paul goes into detail on this in 1 Corinthians and verse 15. I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter if you have questions on the resurrection. I just want to read a couple of verses where the Apostle Paul just, he just sits back and glories in what is to come. Uh, verse 51, he literally says, behold. He says, look, pay attention, listen up. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? This is why we as Christians, in the words of that passage from Thessalonians we read earlier, we we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve in a different kind of way for those who knew the Lord because we have a hope of resurrection. And this makes all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. Um, death is a hard reality. Uh, most, most people try to avoid thinking about it. We've done a pretty good job of, of insulating ourselves from it in our society. Um, for the most part, we've stopped doing even open casket funerals or even having the casket there. We don't want to think about death. We want to keep that out of sight because it's threatening. And we all have a sense. We realize, right, death, death will come for us all in our time. D death is the great enemy the shadow lurking in the back of human existence. And um, uh, I, uh, I, on Friday morning, w when I got the call from hospice that my grandmother was in all likelihood about to pass away, I drove in, and on the way there, I got the call from my uncle. She's, she's already passed away. And so I drove in, and I, I still wanted to sit in a room for a minute, and I prayed and I processed. Um, and the thing that struck me is I'm not sure how I would be able to process that without the hope of the resurrection. Amen. I think it would undo me. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? that for those who hope in Christ, we know death is not the end. Death is not a final parting. And what a day that will be when Christ comes. And it will come to pass what is written, O death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? And we will be raised with imperishable, bo imperishable bodies and we will be with the Lord forever. Hallelujah. So, First application is very simple this morning. Do you have that hope?
Do you have that hope? That was the question Jesus asked of Martha. He said, do you believe this? Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? Do you have this hope in the face of death that Christ has already defeated that great dragon, death? And that death itself is the last enemy that will be defeated just before the new creation. Death itself will die. Do you have that hope? Second, if you have that hope, are you busy mouthing off that hope all the time? If you have that hope, are you keeping it to yourself? If you have the greatest hope against the greatest enemy, are you keeping it to yourself? What fools we will be if we find ourselves at the resurrection day and we've kept our mouths shut about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There will be a resurrection day. Jesus describes this resurrection day in John chapter 5. He speaks of the coming resurrection. John chapter 5. Beginning in verse 28, Jesus says this, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. He's speaking here of the voice of the Son of Man. He's speaking of his own voice at his coming. All who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can remember walking up from a funeral service of a family member and one of my uncles remarking as we were walking through the cemetery, he said, this will be a busy day on Resurrection Day. (laughs) An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And at the resurrection, there will be a judgment. There will be a separation. This is what Jesus tells us here in verse 29. They will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is a separation. It's mentioned not just here, but throughout the New Testament, and in fact, throughout the whole of the scriptures. This is what the confession teaches. We believe that a separation will then take place, that the wicked will be sentenced to endless punishment and the righteous to endless joy. We believe that this judgment will fix forever the final state of men in heaven or hell, on principles of righteousness. There's a lot there to unpack. First, let's just talk about this idea of judgment, which in some ways might be the elephant in the room because judgment makes people uncomfortable. Right? This is not a doctrine that Christians tend to like foreground in, in our day unless you want to be like, uh, kind of alienate everyone. At least that's how it feels. And yet this is what scripture, the scriptures teach. And so we can't, we can't get around this. This is maybe one of the clearest, te- clearest doctrines in the New Testament is of judgment and eternal punishment and eternal joy, a separation. I want to encourage us first in this way that from one angle, and actually probably from a few angles, knowing there, is, there will be a final judgment should give us hope. And here's what I mean. 
many of us have experienced, perhaps in our personal lives, or perhaps just looking around at the world around us, a sense that for some reason in this life, God has allowed the wicked to prosper in ways they ought not to. God has allowed some injustices to go unpunished, many in this life. And some of those may be very personal to us. Some of those may be community-wide or national. And one individual in the church wrote me this week in an email explaining they're looking around at the world and saying, God, why are you letting this happen? Crying out, Lord, why are you letting this happen? And we can come to a point of despair in that. And actually, a number of the psalmists do this. If you read the psalms, you'll find they're often crying out, Lord, why do the wicked prosper? Why is there no justice? And the hope of judgment is that there will be justice. That though not all wrongs are brought under judgment in this life, no wrong will escape the eye of God. And that is a great assurance from one angle. Living in this world full of darkness, surrounded by great injustices that go unpunished, and we say, Lord, when, when will this world be rid of all this darkness? And the promise of judgment is actually tied inseparably to the promise of a new creation. Because in order for there to be heaven, all the darkness will have to be removed. And so the hope is that the Lord will actually bring darkness under judgment and it will be removed. So from one angle, that gives us great hope. But from another angle, it should make us very cautious when we look to ourselves. Because the darkness we cry out, cry out against in the world, the root of that darkness is also found in our own hearts. that we are sinners too and liable to the judgment of God. And so, if it were up to us to be righteous enough to make it through the final judgment, we would have to read passages like this that speak about the judgment and despair. You can turn with me to Revelation 20. Verse 11, it's a vision John is given of the final judgment. He says this, Revelation 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. Two sets of books. One, books, of op- books that are being opened, and then there's the book of life on the other hand. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. The death, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So notice the criteria for judgment here. We've got books and we've got the book. And in the books are written every deed that every person has ever done. And they're judged by them. 
Friends, we need to recognize if we were judged today on the basis of our own righteousness based on what we have done and left undone, we would be found wanting at the judgment. Apostle Paul tells us very clearly in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. None of us is righteous enough to make it through the judgment. Some of us deceive ourselves in that. We think about the judgment as kind of like a, like a, a balance scale and like maybe if I can have more good on one side than, than the bad on the other, maybe I can make it through. But God's st- standard of righteousness is perfect. And so John's very clear about this in Revelation 20. Who are those who are raised to the resurrection of life? It's not on the basis of what's in the books. It's on the basis of who's in the book, right? The book of life. Elsewhere in Revelation, this is described as the Lamb's book of life. And who's the Lamb? This is Jesus, right? John the Baptist says, behold, pointing to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so the the promise of the gospel is not that we can make ourselves righteous enough to avoid the judgment of God. The promise of the gospel is that Jesus died so that we might be forgiven and made righteous in him. We're not raised on the basis of our own righteousness or our own life, but on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. How do you get in the Lamb's book of life? How do you get in the Lamb's book of life? What does Jesus say? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever comes to me, though he die, yet shall he live. It's by faith in him. Do we know Jesus? The simple application. Do we know him? Do we know the hope of his resurrection? Do we know the hope of his forgiveness? Or are we still trusting in our own righteousness? From one angle, the the doctrine of judgment should give us hope, there will actually be an end to the darkness. From another angle, it should sober us. We read in that passage in Thessalonians where Paul encourages the Thessalonians, be awake, be sober-minded. Live life aware of this, that this is a story and it is moving towards an end. And we ought to be aware both of the resurrection to come and of the judgment to come particularly with regard to those we love, particularly regard to, to those around us. There is a judgment coming, but there is a great Savior. And if knowing all these things, which we now should understand with full clarity, we neglect the duty to share the gospel of life with those around us, I don't want to be in that position at at the last day. And I know in my own life, I am often asleep to these realities because in some ways they're unpleasant to think about. And I need to repent of that. Jesus is coming again. There will be a resurrection. There will be a judgment And in Revelation 21 and verse 1, the picture we get is of a world with all darkness gone. Revelation 21 verse 1, 
keep in mind, Revelation 21 verse 1 doesn't happen without the last verses of Revelation 20. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Don't you long for this? you long for this world and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who is seated on the throne said behold i am making all things new this is the christian hope this is our blessed hope that in the power of jesus God is reconciling the world to himself. God is raising up a people for himself in the resurrection. He's raising our hearts to life. And our prayer is that through our proclamation of the gospel, as we continue the ministry of witness that was given to the apostles, as we proclaim, Jesus is alive. We can be alive in him. Jesus is coming again. He will make all things new, and we can be a part of it. This is, this is the invitation we have for the world. Life life from death, life from death, and all in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, keep us awake to these things. Help us, Lord, to submit ourselves in every way to your word. We do not want to set ourselves up as wiser than you we do not want to set ourselves up in a position where we pass judgment on your word in terms of those things which those things which we'll believe and those things which we won't those things which we'll process through and those things which we won't our desire in every way is to is to sit under your word and to have you teach us for we know your word is truth and your word is life and so we ask, Lord, that even as you have given us life in your word, resurrection in the name of Jesus, that you'd anoint our mouths and our minds and our lives even this week to proclaim the resurrection power of Jesus to a world sorely in need of resurrection. We look forward to the day you will come again, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, we pray, come quickly, Lord. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and praise the Lord. Praise God from whom.